Welcome, everybody. <clears throat> I like to begin uh, my programs by remembering my guru, Baba Muktananda. He would begin every program by saying in Hindi, Sabko Varasan Mane Kesat Pemse Hardik Swagat. With great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And uh, a special welcome to those of you. Uh, who are here for the first time. And uh, there might even be people here who haven't been for a very long time. I want to make a special welcome to those people too. So welcome everybody. And Baba would always say that to welcome another person with love is the essence of spirituality. And to welcome another person with love, you have to learn how to welcome yourself with love, to find the love within and uh, to love yourself, to accept yourself, and then only can you reach out and accept others. And certainly, looking at the world now, we certainly need that. As they used to say, that song of my youth, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. So <clears throat> I was very interested in uh, Swami Parmananda's talk about the birds. I got a panicked call this week saying, the birds are walking in the halls of, uh, was it Sadhana Kutia? Bhakti Kutia. And uh, they're shitting there. I said, well, if they're going to walk there, they're going to shit there. That's what birds are known for that. Anyway, I said, it's unacceptable. So some great minds met and they decided that screen doors were the way. <laughs> and the problem was solved. There's nothing that can't be overcome, <laughs> except maybe COVID and Putin. I don't know if uh, we haven't come up with a solution for those yet. Anyway, these programs are always dedicated uh, to, to what I consider the real essential theme of spirituality for me, which is the great beings. When I first... Um, heard about the, the path of yoga, it was uh, at a dinner party in Chicago in 1970 where I met Ramdas, the American teacher, and we had, uh, had a conversation at that dinner party. I was seated right next to him, and he told me, well, he communicated to me that great beings, beings who have attained the self, who have attained liberation, attained enlightenment, exist now, here and now, in this world, not just uh, in the Buddha's time or Jesus's time. Uh, and they existed here and now. And I was in a, a state of confusion, and I realized I needed someone like that to teach me. And that very night, I decided I would go uh, in search of great beings. And in fact, uh, somehow I was propelled by some inner necessity and uh, Shortly afterwards, I uh, quit my job, or I completed my, the year of teaching, and went overland and got to India. And indeed, I met a number of great beings. Uh, and finally, I met 
Baba, Baba Muktananda, and studied with him. So I celebrate these great beings, these great beings who are still alive, still carrying the torch of their traditions, their lineages. Um, uh, they're still teaching the same teaching and transmitting that same great power and that same great love that's always been transmitted. And they're always available to those who become interested in, in this possibility. And according to the scriptures, everyone eventually becomes interested in this possibility. When they play out all the cards, uh, it's like it's the last choice they'll make. First, we'll try uh, power, and we'll try wealth, and we'll try fame, and we'll try uh, objects and money, everything, all kinds of things. Uh, finally, we discover that maybe the answer doesn't lie in those things, but the answer is within us, and this is what the great beings teach. And so I celebrate in these programs the teachings of the great beings. Number one and two on my list, and not necessarily in the order I mention them, uh, Bhagwan Nityananda and Baba Muktananda, but there are many other great beings. <clears throat> Tonight, uh, the great being I'm celebrating is one of those two. Uh, it's Baba's guru, Bhagwan Nityananda. Bhagwan Nityananda, who is my grand guru, my guru's guru. And uh, my own history with him is that I wasn't that very interested in him. When I got to the ashram, I noticed that there were very curious photographs everywhere of this gigantic man with a loincloth uh, and nothing else. For example, here he is uh, in his famous chair, which still exists in his ashram in Ganeshpuri, the village outside of Mumbai. Um, next. What else do you have? He's unusual. If you met him at the Frankston Mall, um, I wonder what, what you would think. I don't think he'd be phased, but you might be. Uh, and then another one of uh, his giving darshan, meeting uh, uh, kids in other, other local villages there. <clears throat> and uh, Bhagavan Nityananda was an extraordinary being. He was an, established in uh, a very high state of consciousness, very detached. Uh, and when you go to Ganeshpur even today, uh, you experience the spiritual power that he generated. It's extraordinary, it's unmistakable. So there was nothing about him that was usual. He was known as an avadut, uh, kind of almost like a, a Vedic rishi, someone from uh, an ancient sage of a type that one doesn't see very often. Beyond, uh, beyond social uh, consciousness, he just was in his own space and he was completely uh, uh, unaffected by other people's opinions. He just was himself. And because of that, he projected an incredible shakti or spiritual energy. Just to be around him was to be elevated. And that's still true today. And you go to Ganeshpuri uh, and you sit in his samadhi shrine where he's buried, you can feel the power well, all through the village, really. 
So Bhagwan Nityananda didn't give lectures, uh, didn't give formal programs. He just sat around with people and uh, sometimes he made strange and oracular aphoristic comments. And we're fortunate because uh, a woman named Tulsiyama got the bright idea of writing them down, kept a notebook and wrote these utterances down. And so we have a set of these utterances. It's known as uh, Chittakashkita, or the Song of Higher Consciousness. And they're strange and enigmatic um, remarks. And so we'll hear some of them tonight. But first, uh, something that Baba wrote. Baba wrote a whole book on, on Bhagwan Nityananda, and it's a very unusual but a very elevated book, but this is something, this is a bit of that book. Baba writes, <clears throat> Sri Gurdav used to ask, seek, to tell seekers to meditate. When people asked questions about sadhana or spiritual practice, he would say, why talk so much? Meditate. You'll get everything through meditation. And Baba says, the Upanishads and other scriptures have said that God dwells in the heart. So why not seek God within yourself? Why wander from one place to another? Why practice austerities without seeing the one in the heart? Why do all kinds of spiritual practices without directly finding the source, the goal that's right inside? Baba says, a poet has written would you look for me, O seeker, I am with you. you cannot, I cannot be found in a temple or a mosque in Kashi or in Mount Kailas, in places of pilgrimages or places of worship. The real secret is within a person. Baba says, this very world is a form of meditation, and a person perceives the world according to his feeling. Our understanding of other people, of the world, and of God, of God himself, is determined by our attitude and feeling. Through meditation, one becomes that on which his mind dwells. That is, whatever the seeker meditates on, this is what he becomes. And this is one of Baba's most profound teachings, that, that the, we see a world filtered through our own feelings, if we're paranoid, the world looks paranoid or looks threatening. Uh, whatever feelings we hold, if we're joyous, the world is joyous. This is uh, commonly seen but not truly understood. If we transform our vision, our feeling, we transform the world. And, <clears throat> and then according to what we contemplate, not just the goal of meditation, but what we habitually think about is what we become. We're constantly thinking about negative things. Um, then we become that. We become negative. Our vision is negative. We see everything negatively. But if we think about the higher things, if we meditate on the highest, we become that. Baba says, when this is the case, what is so improbable about becoming like Shiva through meditation on him. Shiva, of course, means the highest consciousness, to meditate on the highest. He goes on, in just the same way, one becomes like the guru through contemplation of him. 
And this was Baba's practice. When Baba met Bhagavan Nityananda, he received Shaktipat from him. And uh, it transformed him completely, and he was just amazed. And he would go and sit with Bhagavan, and he would meditate on him. And through that meditation, it wasn't just kind of like idol worship. It was actually a transmission was taking place. And he, he connected with that higher power that Bhagavan Nityananda transmitted, and he was able to be in that force field. <clears throat> Baba goes on, meditation means to still the thought waves of the mind completely. And those of you who know, Patanjali know that that's a direct quote from the first, second sutra of Patanjali, that yoga is to still the thought waves of the mind. Our minds go in all kinds of directions, but if you quiet the mind down, behind the flux, the changes of the mind, there is the stillness of the self. And in that stillness, there's peace, and there's joy, and there's love. Everything we're looking for is actually there at the source, obscured by all the activity of the mind. He says, Baba says, stabilizing the mind is the goal of meditation. All the sorrows of the world are due to the fluctuations of the mind. That's a big statement. And yet, yogis know, meditators know that this is true. That our own sorrows are, are because of the torture of our own minds. And if we learn to quiet the mind, to put the mind in a lucid and joyous state, what I call the clear space of good feeling, which has clarity and good feeling, if we can find that sweet spot within, then everything is fine in our life. But if we get taken out of that and into the, uh, the confused state of bad feeling, which we, we're very well aware of, most of us, uh, we've passed through that, uh, then our lives are miserable. Baba says, ecstasy lies in the thought-free state of mind. Ecstasy lies in the clear space of good feeling. There is a space, everyone, everyone here has had clarity for a moment or two. Everyone here has had good feeling for a moment or two. And that space of clarity and good feeling exists within you. And so instead of worrying about stilling your mind and thinking, oh, I'll never still my mind, think about getting close to that space of good feeling and clarity that exists within. He says, making the mind free of thoughts is not so easy. The mind always wants to lean on one thought or another. Therefore, to become established in the self, it's necessary to have an external support for a while. A person transcends thought by means of thought. And now Baba's going to talk about how he meditated on Bhagwan Nityananda. That was the support. That was how he connected to that clear space of good feeling, since Bhagwan Nityananda manifested that space. In the Yoga Sutras, Baba says, there's an aphorism of Patanjali that says, Vitaraga Vishayam Vachitam. Focus the mind on one who's free from attachment and aversion. Focus the mind on a great being, on somebody who's attained that self. He says, a perfected saint is such a being, Baba says. By seeking the shelter of such beings, 
the desires of many lifetimes are destroyed. Dispassion develops, and the bliss of the self arises in the heart. Therefore, keep remembering Sri Nityanandaji. You will experience eternal bliss, Nityananda, pulsating within. So this is how Baba regarded him. Baba regarded him as a connecting point to that clear space of good feeling. So here's a few of the aphorisms from Bhagwan Nityananda. And they're very odd uh, and evocative and challenging in some ways. Baba says, it is futile, Bhagwan says, it is futile for man to run after the horse. Let him ride it instead. Hold the horse and mount quickly. It is also futile to chase the pleasures of the world. Keep your mind free of attachments. So just like running after the horse, it says seeking fulfillment through chasing pleasure is futile also. It won't give you what you seek in the long run. He says instead keep your mind free of attachments. Seek the peace of the, of the detached space. As water slips off an umbrella, so the idea that I am the doer should pass from you. <clears throat> this is a, a formula of Vedanta that we think I am the doer, uh, that we get attached to our actions and we don't live in a surrendered and relaxed state. We're always pushing, pushing and pushing and through that pushing, we make ourselves miserable. So it's saying, give up this sense of doership. Bhagavan says, the householder must be like an offering made to the temple. This is practical instruction how to live in the house. Be like an offering. It all should be offered to God. When you make an offering to the temple, you offer it to God. So the householder should live his life in a state of offering to the divine. Yet you cannot say that one who does this is close to God and the one who does not do it is far from him. Even though that's the way to God, God is everywhere. He said, if you put a light before a thousand people, it shines on them all without distinction. It's saying that, you know, that even though somebody attains God, God's light shines everywhere. The light of consciousness is everywhere. Anyone may take it, the light. Where there's light, there's no darkness. In darkness, there's no light. Either one or the other. Our nature should be like the sun. The mind should be cool as the moon. That's it. Very enigmatic. Our nature should be like the sun. It should shine. And yet our mind should be balanced and cool like the moon. <clears throat> Another one. <clears throat> this follows one of those themes that was developed there. Fire, water, earth, and air are available to everyone. Those, of course, are the elements of the ancient world, earth, air, fire, and water. But they're available to everyone and used by everyone. Water coming through a pipe can be used equally by a Brahmin, an untouchable or a child 
with no distinction. That's it. That's the aphorism. I think he was sitting watching a well and water was coming through and everyone was using it from the highest caste to the lowest and he had the idea, this is the truth, that the light is like that, water is like that, it's equal for everyone. And now in the next aphorism, uh, he actually is talking about his own state. That's what I think. He says, it's not that this one, this one he must be meaning himself, that this one has more and another has less. It's not, Bhagavan is saying, it's not that I am special and I have something that you don't have. Because people in awe of him, they would sit and think, oh, I can't be like that. I can't attain that. He's so exalted. Uh, but he's saying, I'm not different. The faculties of thinking, the ear, the nose, the hands, the eyes, are the same for all. So what's he saying? He's saying the mind is the same for all, the heart is the same for all, the self exists within everyone, consciousness exists within everyone. If you make use of those possibilities that exist within you, you'll become just like me. I don't have any special thing that you don't have. I've just used it in a certain way that I've connected with my essence. And you do the same, and you'll have the same result. <clears throat> I like that one. This one is not special. This one. Here's another one, a little longer. <clears throat> no one wants to look at a fruitless tree. <laughs> you don't want to look at a tree full of fruit. <clears throat> Then that's the end of that idea. <clears throat> Why is man called man? Because he has manas. He's called man. Manas means mind. So it's interesting. I wonder, of course, it's the same word, man, manas. Uh, so you define a human being by the presence of the mind. The mind is... The thinking mind and language are the, the, the key uh, differentiation points uh, between a human being and uh, other animals. You know, we're always fantasizing that when I was a kid, we had the talking horse, uh, Mr. Ed. And now I know they've got any number of cartoons with talking animals of all kinds. And we all like to think that our dogs and cats talk. Uh, so. Uh, anyway, this is, they're called man because of manas, uh, which is the mind. Manas should get knowledge of various thoughts. And being united with peace must become one with om. So the mind should not just get various knowledge, but should also unite with the highest, the clear space of good feeling. It's not enough to acquire knowledge and understanding of many, many different topics and fields, but it also should connect with OM, which means the clear space of consciousness. He says, 
He who desires mukti, mukti means liberation, could be translated as eternal life or liberation, should at once give up the idea, I am the body. Such people alone can realize the self. Well, I am the body. Of course, you are the body, but the essence is the consciousness that dwells in the body. The body is a vehicle. Consciousness dwells within the body. So the more we emphasize our body, the, the less we connect with the self. The more we connect with the self, the less our body brings us down. He says, to those who think I am the body, it's very difficult to see the self. Those who hold fast to the idea I and mine may practice for a thousand years that they will not attain. If you're very caught in selfishness and greed and body consciousness and mind possession, you won't attain the self, he says. Even the slightest action, they will not attain even the slightest fraction of shanti. They won't attain peace. When you're attached to outcomes, you keep yourself away from peace because you never get enough. You never get satisfied. You never get enough credit from other people. People aren't kind enough to you. They don't appreciate you enough. And you don't have enough money and you don't have enough uh, of this and of the other stuff. And because of that, you don't have peace. If one bathes in a river, his body becomes clean, whether he's a pariah, a brahmin, or a child. Same theme. When you bathe in the water, whoever you are, you can be a sinner, a saint, a murderer, or a saint, you still get clean. <clears throat> Likewise, the internal state of man is the same though the exterior of every man may appear to be different. Even the worst person in his essence has that pure self. Everyone has this potential. He goes on, chilies, watermelons, etc. may grow in the same field. <clears throat> the nature of the one is different from that of the other. <coughs> <clears throat> The heat of fire is only felt by those who sit near the fire, but never by those who sit in water. Peace is cool, like water. Before you're hungry, the food must be prepared. These are all Bhagwan's observing uh, uh, ordinary life and then applying it with his strange mind to uh, yoga. <clears throat> so also, before you become a householder, you must know the duty of a householder. A householder should have his exterior and interior equally pure. So this is the uh, teaching for the householder. He has to have his outer life all together. But not only that, he should have his inner life together too. So has to do work in both areas. This is the dharma of a householder from Bhagavan Nityananda. He should distinguish clearly between cause and effect. He should see things clearly as they are and should work in both the inner and the outer. <clears throat> How are you going? Huh? You liking the Bhagwan?
All right, two more ones, short one and a, and a medium-sized one. <clears throat> and of course, um, in India, traveling by train is one of the major things. If you've been on Indian trains, you know what I mean. Um, it's quite an experience. So Bhagwan now is using the analogy of train travel. But he says, one must go to Kashi by train. Kashi is Benares, it's the holy place of Shiva, the city of death. They say it's considered Shaivites that if you die in Kashi, in Benares, you're liberated. And so a lot of people with disease go there very happily uh, and hope they die there, and then they get cremated there, and so on. <clears throat> One must go to Kashi by train. One must reach the town of Shivanandapuri. I don't know if there's such a town, but it means the bliss of Shiva. You must go to that town. One must go to the country of peace. One must stop his journey at Brahmanandapuri. Brahman, the Brahmananda is the highest center to reach the highest. So it's like a train trip. It's an inner journey. You must go from, some, sometimes described as from the base of the spine to the top of the head. But you must go from uh, the lowest to the highest, like taking a train. And each of the stops, each of the chakras, like a station on the train until you reach the highest. And finally, we'll, we'll use this for meditation. And after this, we'll meditate for 10 minutes following Bhagwan's method. He says, in order to make planks of a wooden beam, it should be sawed up and down. You must have been watching somebody. <clears throat> Similarly, breath should move upwards and downwards in the body. It's a meditation structure. Watch the breath go up and down in the body, like sawing a plank. That's his meditation technique. Watch the breath go up and down in the body. <clears throat> it should be led to booty, to be led to here. Watch the breath go up to this center. And made always to move in an upward direction the upward breath, the upward movement. To, now these are very enigmatic here. Maybe you can interpret this for me. To take a stone uphill requires great effort, okay? <clears throat> but to bring it down by the same route is not difficult. That makes sense, right? <clears throat> so also going up is difficult, but coming down is easy. We know that, going up a hill, coming down. It is difficult for the prana to leave the body. To receive a thing is easy, but to return it is difficult. Those men who do not return what they've received are not worthy of the name men. So it's very hard to live a balanced life in which fair-minded and you, you give back, it's hard to do it and yet you don't attain, uh, you're not a, a true person, true human being if you don't do that. 
They are mere animals. They have no virtue. So what is he saying there? You have to make some effort spiritually to uplift yourself. And it's a little bit of hard work. You have to make the the prana move in the higher direction. You have to work at elevating yourself. And yet, uh, paradoxically, at the same time, it all exists within you in its perfection. So this is Bhagwan. So let's do that. Let's meditate together for 10 minutes. And let's do the Bhagwan meditation. So close your eyes. <clears throat> and watch the breath. Now the thing is, to watch the breath inside yourself. And don't think of it as going in and out, as we usually think of it, but just think of it as going up and down. Sometimes he described it as going to a well, and you draw the water from the lowest center up to the highest, like you draw water in the well, and you let it go down, and you draw it up again. It's a little more difficult to draw the water up to the highest center. And it's easy to let it go down and then just draw it back up. And do that for a while. We'll meditate now for 10 minutes. Once again, with great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. Sakuna Maharaj Kijay. Let's meditate. 